This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. On the podcast today, we're going to talk about Tim Tebow. We've avoided Tim Tebow for a couple of weeks, guys, but it's time to talk about him again because he's headed to Arizona as part of the AFL representing the Mets down there. Um, But before we get to Tebow, we're going to talk about the current playoff teams, how their rosters were built because a lot of these teams are built significantly from within. There's trades, there's free agent signings, and it's fascinating to see how the different teams kind of put together their postseason club and, and, and a successful team that's made it this far. Uh, we've already obviously lost the Mets from the postseason. We've also lost the Orioles, so we won't talk about those teams. But the eight teams that remain in October, we will break down. We'll go division by division, and let's start Uh, or a series by series, I should say. So let's start with the Red Sox and Indians, guys. And, Jim, I'll start with you and the Red Sox because this is a team, obviously, a lot of young talent there in Boston, also some key veterans. How did this team all get put together? I thought the Red Sox were one of the more interesting teams. I mean, we do this series every year, and I always find it fun to look at how the teams were assembled. Tim, I thought it was one of the more interesting teams because, A, they kind of had the most – balanced approach with some homegrown players and traded players and free agent players. They kind of mirrored the, the, the average of the 10 teams that made it to the playoffs. They had nine homegrown, 11 trade acquisition, and five free agents. It was also interesting. They had three different front office regimes that could all claim a significant hand in this. Theo Epstein, even though he, it seems like he's been gone for a long time, and he has acquired nine of these players. Uh, ben Charrington, I think, had 10. And then David Dombrowski, who, who's been in my case and has been the GM under David Dombrowski for a little bit more than a year, had, I believe, six is what it came down to. So it was kind of interesting. I, I think the, the, the biggest, uh, I guess, method or, or biggest impact was the 2011 draft where they got Jackie Bradley Jr., Mookie Betts, who could be the MVP, Travis Shaw, Matt Barnes will pitch out of the bullpen, and it might even be stronger down the road. That, that draft might look even better if Blake Swihart and Henry Owens look as good as they did in the minors. So that was really a, a, a big uh, you know, part of building this team was that one draft. They also have a guy from last year's draft, uh, 2015, Andrew Benintendi, I think is the only 2015 draftee in the playoffs. You can go back to 2004 with Dustin Pedroia, their top pick that year. Uh, only one international signee, but it was a really good one. Xander Bogarts, who's a guy who they actually, Mike Lord, the scout who signed him, actually spotted his brother, his twin brother Jair, first, asked if there's anybody else he should see, and Jair said, I've got a brother who's home sick with the chicken pox. Uh, so some good scouting, some good diligence there. They worked Xander Bogarts out and found him before everybody else did. So a lot of that, that's the homegrown aspect from a trade standpoint. Uh, a big part of this roster is a result of Ben Sherrington trades. Eduardo Rodriguez came over from the Orioles for Andrew Miller. When they traded John Lester at the trade deadline in 2014, they got Yuanis Suspedes, who they then spun to the Tigers 
who Dave Dombrowski was running the show there at the time, and got Rick Porcello, who might be a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, Dombrowski's obviously made a couple big trades with the Padres to bring in Craig Kimbrell and bring in Drew Pomerantz. Pomerantz has, has not worked out as well. That deal is somewhat controversial because uh, medical information was withheld. And then from a free agent standpoint, remember the last time the Red Sox won the World Series, Ben Charrington signed seven kind of mid-level free agents, all of whom had good years to contribute to that World Series championship. Recently, they, they've gone for some bigger ticket guys. Hanley Ramirez has bounced back after a rough first year. Uh, David Price, uh, you know, maybe not quite as dominant as they hoped after signing a record contract for pitcher, but he, he has helped stabilize that rotation. And, and then maybe the, the best free agent signing dollar for dollar of all time was David Ortiz signing a non-guaranteed one-year $1.25 million contract in 2003 and wasn't even guaranteed a job at that point. He was kind of a, an extra option at DH. Obviously, he's been part of three World Series championships, uh, making a run at a fourth, and probably had the best farewell season anybody's ever had uh, this year, leading the majors in doubles, extra base hits, slugging, and ops. Yeah, I think that's safe to say as far as the best last season, especially for a 40-year-old, uh, that is for sure. Uh, Jonathan, this Indians team has had to deal with injuries, as every team does, and, and they've been helped as far as those injuries go by their own system. Yeah, they, they certainly have, and uh, there is a good amount of, of homegrown uh, players there. I think it ended up being with uh, nine total homegrown players uh Jan Gomes ended up being added, and he's a traded player. So that changed the projected roster a little bit as he made a somewhat miraculous recovery from his injury. But uh, probably the, the biggest injury that they had to overcome was Michael Brantley pretty much being a complete non-factor. And, and uh, the job that Tyler Naquin did stepping in and, and, and soaking up a lot of that playing time and being extremely productive uh, – is a, is a huge reason why the, the Indians won the AL Central. Uh, you know, obviously, when you talk about homegrown players, that kind of have to start, and you could argue start and end with Francisco Lindor, who has already become kind of the, the heart and soul of that team and will continue to do so for as long as he's in an Indians uniform. Uh, another terrific year for him. Um, as I was looking through this, I was telling you, know, you have him and Jason Kipnis and – then you look on the Red Sox side, and you've got Pedroia and Bogarts. And those are probably the two best all-homegrown middle infield you know, double-play combinations that, that I could think of. Uh, you know, so a little, nice little tidbit there. But you know, the, the Indians, where they've probably been the most successful, has been via trades. Now, a lot of them were smaller trades, bringing in minor leaguers who then turned into Carlos Santana and Corey Kluber. Um, but, you know, they were big players this year at the trade deadline. And while they weren't able to land Jonathan Lucroy, they were able to get Andrew Miller uh, for Clint Frazier and Justice Sheffield. So they paid a price, uh, but they'll have Miller under control for a couple more years. And not only did he solidify their bullpen, uh, which would have been important, but especially because some of those injuries that you mentioned, Tim, happened to the starting rotation fact they were able to stretch out their bullpen that shortened the game for some of the starters that had to, to step in and and fill the void and that made it a little bit easier for uh for the indians um and then finally free agents uh you know the indians aren't huge players in the free agent market so they don't have the, the payroll to do that 
But, you know, the, the two big signings for this year, one was Rajai Davis, and uh, his presence certainly helped also uh, fill the void uh, with Michael Brantley being out, and he had a, a very good year. But Mike Napoli has been huge, uh, not just in terms of the power and run production in the middle of the lineup. Uh, he's had, you know, arguably the best year of his career, but also just the, the personality, uh, leadership, those kinds of things that he's brought. And, I mean, this is a guy who pretty much is in the postseason every single year, eighth time in the last ten seasons. You know, and after a certain point in time, I know one guy can't make a team a postseason team, but you build a reputation as being a guy that's on winning teams, and, uh, and that has proven to be the case over the course of his career. And, of course, he was a part of the Red Sox in 2013 when they won the World Series. Jonathan, who do you like to win this series? Um, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I know the, the, the Indians finished with a better record, but I, I don't know. Something tells me that the Red Sox win, win this series in, uh, in five games and move on to the ALCS. And how about you, Jim? You got a winner? pick the Red Sox. I just think that there, there are too many questions uh, for me to decide. In fact, too many questions with Indians rotation right now. Even Corey Kluber isn't 100%. They're going to have to start guys on short rest. They really only have, I think, two starters they fully trust. So I think the Red Sox uh, pull this one out. All right, let's jump over to the National League so we don't make those National League fans wait. And uh, the NLDS that's been set that didn't have to wait for a wild card winner is the Dodgers and the Nationals. Uh, Jim, I'll start with you again in the Dodgers. And obviously this is a team with, with a high payroll, a high budget, but that's not necessarily how the roster breaks down. No, I mean, they, they, I mean you would think you know, for a team that set a major league record for payroll spending in 2014 and then broke in 2015 and had the highest opening day payroll of almost $250 million this year, that they'd have free agents all over the place. And they really don't. I mean, they've, they've re-signed some key guys uh, that were original homegrown guys, and they've taken on some expensive contracts. But from a free agent standpoint, only three free agents on the team, and none of them were, were big signings. In fact, you know, we were just talking about the bargain with the Red Sox that David Ortiz was. I'm not going to put Justin Turner in David Ortiz's class, but Justin Turner was signed. You know, he was just kind of a journeyman utility guy when he signed a minor league deal worth a million dollars going into 2014 season, and he wound up hitting 340 that year and then set career highs for homers and RBIs last year. And then this year led the team with 27 homers and 90 RBIs. So he, he was a nice free agent pickup. But really, this team has been acquired mostly through trades. They, they traded for 13 of the players, 13 to 25 players on the roster. That's the second highest total among any of the playoff teams. Even though Andrew Friedman has only been in charge for two years, uh, you know he, he's actually you know put his stamp on this this roster. He traded. You know since he's taken over, he's traded for Kiki Hernandez, Hallie Kendrick, Ismani Grandal. Grant Dayton, Luis Avalon, Alex Wood, Chase Elliott, Rich Hill, Josh Reddick, Jesse Chavez, Carlos Ruiz. Now I'll catch my breath after plowing through all those. So he's, he's made a number of deals. You know, obviously, the, the one they'll probably have the biggest impact this year will be the Rich Hill, Josh Reddick trade he, he made around the trade deadline. Um, and then even though they have spent a boatload of money and they have assembled the majority of the roster via trade, two things do stand about them in terms of uh, homegrown. One, they have five international players, which is tied for the most uh, in baseball. They, they have some big ticket guys there, like Kenta Maeda, who's been a godsend for the rotation that's been riddled by injuries. Yasiel Puig signed a $42 million deal. He cost a bunch of money as well. Um, you know, they have Julio Urias, 
who is going to probably, you know, I think, I mean, Jonathan and I, and it seems like Tim, we've, we've talked about this guy all season, uh, eventually becoming, um, the, you know, maybe the best left-handed pitching prospect or our best left-handed pitcher in baseball in, in time. I mean, he made the big leagues at 19 this year. And then they got two bullpen pieces who, who they both signed as position players. Kelly Jansen signed as a catcher for $85,000 out of Curacao, and Pedro Baez signed for 200000 as a third baseman out of the Dominican Republic. And then draft-wise, only – only four drafted players, but they made those draft picks count because Clayton Kershaw and Corey Seager are their best pitcher and their best hitter, and Jock Peterson also keep part of the team. It was another draft pick. So mainly trades, but when they, they've, they've signed those draft guys, they've picked out some good ones. And then, Jonathan, the basis for this Nationals team obviously all started with those top picks overall in, in drafts when they were struggling. One of those guys, though, and Steven Strasburg, not part of this team. What about the overall picture for the Nationals? Yeah, it's interesting because I think when if, if you think about the Nationals and and don't really examine it, those are the guys that pop to mind. Uh, you know, going back to Ryan Zimmerman in 2005 from you know the Jim Bowden days, uh, you know, top ten pick. But then uh, Harper and Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, uh, in you know back to back to back years. And obviously, those those guys are important, especially if uh, if Harper uh, can prove that he's healthy. I mean, Rendon has been a, a vital part to, to this team as well. Danny Espinosa, uh, you know, has been uh, a mainstay in the infield this year and had a much better second half. Um, but uh, you know, those guys like Ryan Zimmerman isn't quite the major contributor, key cog that he that he once was. So you kind of have to look to see what they've done. In other places, I think free agency is uh, the place where they've come up pretty big. Now they've, they've got some interesting role players, you know, guys like like Sean Kelly, um, but you know I don't think you can overestimate what Daniel Murphy meant to them this year. Again, he's banged up to see what exactly he can bring to the table in the, in the playoffs, but that. That was a, a signing coming off of a career in New York. I think some people, myself included, weren't convinced that he would be able to repeat that success, and he, he did, and then some. Uh, and then, of course, Max Scherzer, who continues to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, and that's been all the more important, especially with uh, Strasburg in and out with, with injuries. Uh, and they're going to have to lean on Scherzer pretty heavily. And, you know, and in short series, if you have a guy like that to front your rotation – uh, you can do pretty well, uh, and then they've done well in, in trades. Uh, you know, over over the years, this year, of course, the the big one of the deadline was bringing in Mark Melanson uh, in the hopes that he would solidify their you know the back end of their bullpen, and he pretty much has been as advertised. Uh, you know, like he was here in Pittsburgh, nothing flashy, but uh, got the job done. Uh, blew one save uh, all year. Um, uh, you know, post trade, I should say. Uh, and, you know, he's not going to be the kind of guy that comes in and lights up the radar gun and blows people away. He just uh, gets it done without uh, without a whole lot of drama. Uh, and, you know, so if Scherzer to start games and a guy like Melanson to, to end them, uh, that is, that's a recipe that has worked for a lot of teams uh, for a long time come postseason play. So who wins the series? Uh you know, I'll stick with the Nats. Uh, they, they do have some question marks, but I think Murphy and Harper come back and, and make the contributions that they can. Uh, and I think that Scherzer leads uh, that pitching staff uh, to, to eat by the Dodgers. 
And Jim, who do you like? Um, I'm going to take the Dodgers. Kind of the same reason I took the Red Sox. I think if you had fully healthy pitching staffs, this would be a tremendous, tremendous series. And I, I still think it'll be a good one. But I, I just I think you know not having Steven Strasburg is going to make a difference. I'm going to pick the Dodgers in five and. And, again, I, I mean, we don't have to digress on this room, but I, I, it, it just, again, reinforces to me what a terrible decision it was with the way the Nationals handled Steven Strasburg in 2012. Uh, you know, don't, you know they, they, they could have set it up where they could have maybe used him in the playoffs. They didn't with this assumption that they'd be back year after year after year. Uh, this is the second playoff appearance since then. And their pitching staff, and unfortunately, Strasburg are, are undermanned a little bit right now. And I, I don't think this is going to be the Nationals' year. All right, back to the American League we go. The Blue Jays survived a tremendous wild card game with the extra inning victory over the Orioles. The Rangers, the top seed in the AL as they kind of cruise through the 2016 season. Uh, Jonathan, I'll let you start this one off with that Rangers team that was so good pretty much from opening day till the end of the season. Yeah, without, without much uh, fanfare. And they're, you know, they're a pretty balanced team in terms of uh, – Finding a, a mix of players, um, you know, across the board. They still have a strong contingent of homegrown players, uh, even with you know some of the trades that they've made. Um, but uh, you know, not necessarily the the superstars. But you know, I guess Odor has turned into a really really good player. Nomar Mazara, of course. Um, both Odor and Mazara from that 2011. Uh, signing period, um, Rangers spent uh, a whole lot of money uh, while A.J. Preller was still part of the Rangers front office. Now, of course, the Padres general manager. Um, so, you know, they've had a, a good amount of guys come from from international and, uh, and the draft. And, you know, they're a team that has, I think, the second most – they might have the most – international players um, tied, with the tied with the Dodgers. Thank you. Um, yeah. So it, it's been, been a mix there, but they've also obviously been uh, hugely active in trades. The Cole Hamels one is the one that really uh, jumps out, uh, you know, last year. Uh, and then they went out and got Jonathan Lucroy this year to, you know, help them behind the plate. And also uh, with their lineup, uh, getting Carlos Beltran as a, as a, as a rental uh, you know, this is a team that is kind of in this position every year, and they've been able to, to do it and still have, you know, pieces in their farm system left to, to deal, you know, make future deals if they want. Uh, and then, you know, they've had a good amount of free agent signings that have helped them as well, you know, probably none more so than Adrian Beltre, who uh, I guess is going to play forever, um, you know, and could, continues to be a very productive uh, high energy player, uh, and has you know effectively blocked Joey Gallo from ever trying to play third base at the big league level. Um, and I would be remiss uh, to not mention Matt Bush. Um, I know we've talked about him before, but uh, in tr just in terms of an interesting sort of minor league free agent signing, given all the issues off the field that he had had, uh, he's been a very good part of that bullpen. Uh, and uh, another big reason why the, the Rangers are uh, once again back in postseason play. Matt Bush right in the middle of uh, all the, the controversy with these two teams as well. He was on the mound in May when 
when the bench is cleared and, and that melee went down between the, the Blue Jays and the Rangers. Jim, your turn. This Blue Jays team, uh, obviously Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, haven't been there very long. Um, the, the regime before them built a lot of this team. Yeah, and, and this trade, and even the regime before that had a couple key contributions. The Blue Jays, more than half the players on this roster, 13, were, were the products of trades. Only the Cubs have traded for more players than the Blue Jays among this year's playoff teams. And you go back to 2008 when J.P. Ricciardi stole Jose Bautista before he was Jose Bautista from the Pirates for Robinson Diaz in a straight-up trade. A year later, he got Edwin Encarnacion, obviously the wild-card hero, as part of the Scott Rowland trade with the Reds. Alex Anthopoulos made a, a ton of trades. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think seven players on this team were our players he traded for or claimed on waivers in the last couple of years. He made the Josh Donaldson trade with the Athletics. He stole Devin Travis from the Tigers. He swung a couple blockbusters last year. He got Troy Tulowitzki and David Price to help win last year's uh, title. Price obviously is left as a free agent. Excuse me. Um, you know, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have not uh, had as much time to put as big a stamp on the roster, but they, they, they made a trade that really stood out to me as maybe the most interesting trade at this year's deadline. They, they got Francisco Liriano from the Pirates for Drew Hutchinson, which really helped their rotation. They, you know, was really, I don't know if they make the playoffs about Francisco Liriano. And then because they took on all of his remaining salary, about $17.5 million, they got two interesting prospects, kind of second-tier prospects, and catcher Reese McGuire and Harold Ramirez. And you don't often see a contender make a trade that helps them now but also adds prospects. So I thought that was interesting. And then while the trades are the, the, the bulk of this roster, they have made some nice draft picks. Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman are first-rounders. Aaron Sanchez is a supplemental first-rounder, actually, were key parts of that rotation. Roberto Asuna was an international sign, who's their closer. Kevin Pillar, who, who made another nice defensive play, seems like he makes one of those every game in the wild-card contest, was a 33rd-round senior sign for $1,000. That was a nice one. And even though there's only three free agents on the roster, Russell Martin has helped stabilize the pitching staff, and he's provided you know, 43 homers in two years with Toronto. And then Jay Happ was dollar for dollar, maybe the best pitching signing in this past offseason, wound up winning 20 games after signing a three-year, $36 million contract. So, Jim, who do you like when it's all said and done in that series? I like the Rangers. I just like the combination of Cole Hamels and Hugh Darvish. Uh, I think is a little bit better than, than what the Blue Jays can do starting pitching-wise. Uh, I'm going to go with the Rangers. I'm looking forward to this series, though. Obviously, some bad blood between the teams, and, and I think this one's going to go five games. Jonathan, how about you? Uh, I'm in the same boat. I think the Rangers are going to win. Maybe they win it in, in four, but uh, that's uh, a very unscientific guess on, in terms of how deep the series goes. But I just think, uh, you know, the, the Rangers have, have been, been here before, uh, a little more experience. I mean, although there are some experienced guys on the, on the Blue Jays roster, but I, I just uh, I see the Rangers moving on. All right, and then the final series of the division series is the Giants and, of course, the Cubs. Cubs with 103 victories in the regular season. Jonathan, I'll start with you on this one again and this Giants team that they just keep doing it every other year. They're back in the postseason making a run. Yeah, they, they are, and uh, doing it behind Madison Bumgarner, of course, uh, following the script uh, exactly the way they, they should. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you talk about the, the Blue Jays and, and how uh, Ross Atkins and 
Mark Shapiro haven't really been there that long to put a stamp on it. The Giants are all about continuity. You know, Brian Sabian was the general manager forever. Uh, he gets bumped upstairs, so to speak. Um, Bobby Evans, who's been part of the front office for almost a quarter century now, is the general manager. So it's not like they had to really change things all that much. Uh, you know, even uh, John Barr has been running the dress for nine years now. So uh, top to bottom, they're all on the same page to, to do what they're, they're doing now. And, you know, a good amount of homegrown players, uh, you know, used to be that they had that all homegrown infield. Uh, you know, third base is, is up in the air now. But uh, you, know, you still have Brandon Belt at first, Joe Panic at second, and Brandon Crawford at short uh, with uh, Buster Posey behind the plate. You know, Bumgarner Posey, uh, for, for, for my money, is the, you know, I talked about the best homegrown middle infield. That's the best homegrown battery, uh, I think. Um, you know, and then they've been able to augment it. Uh, you know, even though they still have that strong core, uh, you know, they, they went all in this year, were really active at the trade deadline, um, bringing in Matt Moore, bringing in Will Smith. Uh, you know, they didn't have that deep of a farm system, but uh, they traded what they had, uh, you know, in, in order to, to go for that. And you think about it, they brought in Matt Moore via trade. Um, they signed Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto as free agents. So that's 60% of their rotation uh, was brought in from the outside because they identified that they were going to need some help. Guys weren't coming back from injury. Um, you know, maybe they would have liked it if Matt Cain had been able to stay healthy and, and gotten back to who he was before the injuries beset him, but uh, they, they weren't able to do that. Um, you know, and then, you know, some, some key, you know, not as big signs like a guy like Denard Spann, which helps solidify them in, in center field. Um, you know, and I think everyone's going to remember Connor Gillespie's homer in the wild card game for, for a long time to come. And I was a guy who had a chance to not even be on the postseason roster uh, if it weren't for Eduardo Nunez's uh, injury, uh, he may not have been. So uh, they they get contributions uh, from just about everybody when they make these runs. So if if their wild card win was any indication, uh, they may be around for a while. All right, and then the Cubs, Jim. Obviously, you think of this team as really homegrown with all these young prospects, but that really doesn't tell the real full story. No. In fact, they're the least homegrown of any of the teams, and I think that'll change over the next couple of years as more of the guys that they've signed and developed come up through the system. But only five homegrown players on their playoff roster. That's the least. Uh, the Giants and the, the Indians and Rangers all tied for the most with ten. Only three draft picks on the Cubs. That's the lowest uh, in baseball, although one of those is Chris Bryant, who's probably going to be the MVP this year. And, and again, I think we'll see more. Going forward, you know, Jorge Soler was a big international signing. Javier Baez, who, who plays a key role, was a first-round pick by previous regime, and, and Wilson Contreras was an international signing too. But it's been mostly done via trades. I mean, when, when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod came in, first move they, they really made was a big one. They, they traded. It was a four-player deal that was essentially uh, Andrew Kashner to the Padres for Anthony Rizzo whom all those three guys were in Boston when they drafted when the Red Sox drafted Rizzo, and then Hoyer McLeod traded for him when they were with the Padres. Uh, they went on, you know, when they were trying to build the team up, 
They made a great trade for Kyle Hendricks. They made a great trade for Jake Arrieta. They got Peter Strope in that deal as well. They made a great trade for Addison Russell. Um, and then when they kind of switched gears and they were going from uh, rebuilding to contending, they, they traded for Miguel Montero. They traded for Dexter Fowler. Uh, this summer, the, the big trade was a role as Chapman. So they, they both they, they traded prospects for veterans, and they've traded veterans for prospects, and both of those have worked out. They've also made some nice free agent signings again once they were ready to win. Went out and signed John Lester at the 2014 winter meetings. And then this past season, they added Jason Hayward and John Lackey and Ben Zobrist, all of whom will play key roles in the playoffs. So I have a feeling that you know, I think the Cubs are going to be a perennial playoff team for a number of years. And I think when we're doing this story three, four years down the line and talking about it in a podcast three, four years down the line, probably be a lot more homegrown flavor. But for now, even though the Cubs have a very young team, it's a lot of guys that they traded for when they were on the rise and now have installed into their lineup or into their rotation. So who wins, Giants, Cubs, Jim? Um, I'm going to go with the Cubs. I, I do think, um, I mean, they have the best team in baseball, I, I think. I, to me, they're the favorite to win the World Series, although you've got to win three rounds and the best team doesn't always win. I, I do think, looking at it, the Mets might have been a little bit easier matchup. I think the Mets are kind of banged up. Um, and it'll be interesting. You know, if they split in Chicago in the first two games, they get Madison Bumgarner in San Francisco for game three. It could be a tough series for the Cubs, but I, but I will pick the Cubs. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I think the Giants have some pitching where they could they could match up. You know, they'll get Cueto in game one, and he pitched you know, well for, for Kansas City in the World Series last year and had a terrific year. Uh, they're, you know, they've got a deep staff, you know, so – they go Cueto and Moore, one and two. That's pretty good. And then have Bumgarner, as Jim said, waiting game three. That said, I still think that, uh, uh, you know, that's an uphill battle to, to beat the Cubs. And, yeah, it's rare uh, when the team that everyone expects to win actually does win the whole thing. That's the nature of the postseason. But I still have to think that, uh, that the Cubs are going to move on. Yeah, and that's kind of the uh, – I guess if you had to pick a team that could best re – put together what the Mets did to the Cubs a year ago with all their pitching. It would be the Giants, but but I think the Cubs still have it there. Uh, I'll give my picks real quick, guys. I agree with you both on the Red Sox. Uh, I'll actually buck the trend and go with the Blue Jays over the Rangers, and then I agree with Jim that the Dodgers will beat the Nationals, and then we all think that the Cubs will get by the Giants despite the Giants' good pitching. So it'll certainly be a lot of fun, and it gets kicked off with the ALDSs today as we record this podcast on Thursday afternoon. And that, guys, brings us to Tim Tebow. We've ignored him a little bit here the last couple of weeks on the podcast while he's continued to keep himself in, in the spotlight as far as uh, instructional league. You know, he homered in his first at-bat with the Mets down in Florida. But now he's headed to the Arizona Fall League, which is something I don't think we kind of expected to happen. We figure instructs and then maybe that would be it with his football commitments and everything like that. But he is heading to Arizona. Um, obviously, he won't play Every day, he won't be in the lineup every day, he still has those SEC network commitments. So let's start with that. How big a factor is that, Jim, that uh, Tebow will be in the AFL, but he also still will be on television? Um, I don't think it's a big factor for the AFL, simply because the way the AFL is set up, you have taxi squad players get into action on Wednesdays and Saturdays. He'll miss Saturday. Um, and then nobody plays every day down there because everybody's got prospects who need some playing time. So even if Tim Tebow was in Scottsdale on the Scorpions and staying put, 
it's not like he's going to play in 30 games. You know, he's probably going to play 15 to 20 games like everybody else. So I don't think that's a factor, Tim. It, it still bothers me a little bit just from the standpoint that if his heart is set on playing baseball, that this is what he wants to do, he's lost 11 years of at-bats. And, again, I don't think it bothers me. It does not matter with AFL. Make a 100% commitment. It's not like ESPN would say, hey, Tim, you didn't give us notice. You're not welcome here anymore. Tim Tebow would have a job at ESPN if he said, look, i got to walk away from this right now. ESPN would have said, that's fine. Come back whenever you want because you're Tim Tebow. We want you on the SEC network and college football game day and all that coverage. So it bothers me a little bit from that standpoint. But in terms of how it affects him in the AFL, it's not like he was going to play every day. So it's not really going to affect that. All right. It's been a while since we've talked about Tebow. Jonathan, since we last talked, I know both of you kind of set it at maybe hovering around 0% his chances of eventually making it to the big league someday. Uh, seeing what he's done in instructs, which is obviously a low level uh, of baseball, and then now that the fact that he's going to the AFL, has your opinion changed at all? No. <laughs> I mean... It- Maybe maybe I'll up it to two percent, just because he's going to the fall league. But I mean, they need to they need to challenge him and and see what he can handle. Uh, you know, because if this is going to work at all, and for it to work at all in terms of you know from a player personnel and not a cynical marketing selling merchandise standpoint, uh, he's got to make it to the big leagues, and he's got to do it pretty quickly because he's not twenty one or twenty two. Um, so I think they need to see how he handles the fall league, and that can help determine where he might go to start next year. Um, you know, if he somehow finds some success uh, in Arizona, maybe they can send him to Double A, you know, rather quickly. Even if they you know, want to keep him in St. Lucie to start the year and then send him to Double A, uh, and, and then go from there. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it's a small sample size in Arizona. So, you know, it's not like you, if he goes over however, or one for whatever, you know, it, it's not okay. He's done. He clearly can't do it. Um, but that may help inform their decisions in terms of what they want to try to do next spring. I think, uh, that's the, the main, the main thing that they're going to try to examine while he's out there. And I think the key too, Jonathan is, you know, the Instruction League and Arizona Fall League are two entirely different animals. I and mean, we, to be honest, I mean, they don't publish Instruction League stats. So we don't even know how he's been doing Instruction League outside of, His you homer. know, I've seen parts of the games homer. where there have been stories where he went 4 for 14 with a homer in those three games. But in Instruction League, you have guys, a lot of times teams will have pitchers not throw breaking balls to make them work on their change-ups. You might be working on delivery adjustments. You, you, you might be, you know, there, there's not an emphasis on results in Instruction League. It's about learning. And it's a totally different environment facing pitchers doing that than going to the Fall League where you have a lot of guys who are trying to win spots on 40-man rosters. There's a lot of guys who throw hard. Not that guys weren't trying in Instruction League against Tim Tebow. And, again, I'll emphasize, we have no idea what his stats were down there, or at least I haven't seen them. But in the Fall League, you're going to have guys trying to get him out. Like, it's not going to be, hey, you know, young pitcher, we want you throwing your change up, lay off your breaking ball. Guys are going to be coming at him with, with some pretty good stuff. And I think it'll be very telling. I, I think how he does in the Fall League, even though it is a small sample size and stats 
don't matter in the fall league. But I think just when we see Tim Tebow, if he plays 15 or 20 games and we see how he handles better but not major league caliber stuff on a regular basis, we'll tell a lot about what's going to happen with him. And I'm looking forward to that. And I think it's going to be uh, fascinating because, obviously, Arizona Fall League games, there is there is a grouping of those games that are televised on MLB Network. Um, and so people might get a chance to see Tim Tebow at the plate in an actual game, and, and that'll be interesting, to say the least. All right, any final thoughts on Tebow from either of you guys? Um, no, I, I, I guess my, my, I, I would say I'm just interested to see how he does, I, you know, and you know, I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong, but like Jonathan said, I, I don't think my percentage chance I think he plays in the majors has changed. I, I would say it's greater than zero because I do think there is kind of a sideshow attraction factor you have to factor in and that I, I could see Tim Tebow being a September call-up uh, at some point because he's Tim Tebow. But I just think it's I just think it's too much of an obstacle to overcome not playing baseball for more than a decade and to you know lose you know probably five thousand at bats over that period of time and be able to come back and make it work. All right, great stuff, guys. Maybe we check in again on the the Tebow topic after the Arizona Fall League is wrapped up when we see what he does down there and maybe then maybe your percentages will change one way or the other. Maybe Jonathan's goes back from two. Back to zero. Who knows? It'll be uh, fun to find out. But great stuff. Wrapping up how these teams were built. And, of course, Tim Tebow down in the AFL. That's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.